Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity on behalf of the elders and the congregation here at Pippin to allow me the opportunity to speak. Uh, Brother Roger, it's good to have you in our mix once again. We're thankful for the God who has the power to heal. This morning, we're going to have a sermon that is entitled, God is Truth. In the teenage Bible class uh, that I've been teaching uh, for the past year or so, we've been studying God. Uh, the reason we have chosen to study God is because 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 teaches us that Jesus Christ will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two parts, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time we come together, there is an invitation offered. Uh, in some form or fashion, we're given the obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least the beginning steps. Uh, how we can become a Christian and begin our Christian walk. So we're given that. So we know how we can come to obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that that Christian who dedicates their life to Christ, they begin to come to our services and they last for six months, a year, maybe five years. And maybe perhaps one out of every hundred or so falls away. Why do they fall away? What causes them in their life to reject the God that they once knew and loved? Well, it's because oftentimes they don't know God. And Jesus Christ will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to teach our children and ourselves to come to know God. So in the teenage Bible class, that's why we've been studying God, because it's important for us to learn who God is, how God interacts with man, and how God acts within his very own nature. What is he limited himself to, and what is he capable of? So we've been covering uh, topics such as God is love. Uh, he is perfect love. God is justice, and God is righteousness. So the justice is the fact that God hates evil with a perfect hatred, and his righteousness is that he loves good with a perfect love. Together that forms that God is holy. Uh, the counteractions of his justice and his righteousness. We're also going to look into the fact that God is goodness. He is perfectly good. We looked at God as a person, meaning God is the perfect personality. If we could liken ourselves to the personality of God, we'd be much better off uh, because God is a person. Um, other topics such as um, God is truth, we had just finished. We spent about eight weeks on God is truth, uh, and you have about 25 minutes to go through what we went in eight weeks. So you have a very limited, uh, it'll be an overview, but hopefully it will be something that you can learn. Uh, but the importance of teaching God is so that we can come to know God, so that we can trust that our children, that ourselves will not fall away. Because if we understand who God is, then we understand that there's nothing that we shouldn't love about God. If he's perfect love, then we ought to love him because he first loved us. He is all these things to perfection. There is nothing that we should not love about God, and we should never fall away. You can then rely on the fact that when your children leave your nest and they go into college and they sit in their first general education course and some brilliant scientist gets up and he says that your child came from a monkey and then that your child also uh, is wrong, completely wrong, for believing that there is a God whatsoever, that six months after they leave your nest that your child will still be a Christian. And that is important for all of us, that we can rest assured that our lives will remain with a hope of heaven, and that we will not fall away. 
so this morning, we are just going to look at God is truth. Just one aspect of God. And as Brother Greg read for us, the lesson text does come from 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, which reads that we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him, that we might come to know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. If we want to have eternal life, we must go to the one who is capable to give it, which is the God, the true God, the living and true God of heaven. Now let's consider, uh, mo there's multiple ways, and we're going to go through this this morning, of distinctions of the word true. Uh, in our English versions, we're not always careful to designate uh, that area of truth. But in the Greek, it's not so. So the first Greek word we're going to learn today is alethanos. Alethanos simply means that something is true in the sense that it is real. It is actual. It is genuine. So when used of God, it means that he is the true God. He is real. He exists. He is genuine. In John chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus says, You both know me and where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but him who sent me is true. Alethanos. He is real. He is actual. He exists. <coughs> when Jesus says that he is the only real God by saying that the Father is true, what he's trying to say is that he's not false. He's not an idol, something that men uh, worship out of some false security, uh, but rather he is the true and living God. That's why Paul at the church of Thessalonica told those Christians, he said that you had turned from idols to serve the living and true God, Alethanos, the true God. He is real, he is actual, and unlike idols, our God lives. So Paul is actually teaching us who is worthy of worship. Is it the idols that are worthy of worship? Well, no, there's no life in them. But the God that we serve, the living and true God, Alethanos, he is worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our service. Let's turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. We'll begin in verse 5. And God through the prophet of Isaiah says, <clears throat> To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we should be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale, they hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. God is making fun of the idols that the Israelites had created. To the Israelites, they had to, had to make a god, number one. They had to make it. Then they had to pick it up to move it. They had to set it in its place, and even when it was in its place, it couldn't answer the cries that they made to it, and it couldn't deliver them from their distresses. Is this a God that they should be serving? No, because the God that we serve, what is he capable of? Well, he doesn't have to be made because he is the maker. He doesn't have to be moved because he of himself moves over the face of the land and the sea. That's what he did during creation. He doesn't have to be set in its place because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. 
He's prepared to play. He can answer our prayers, and he can deliver us from our distresses. That's the God that we should be serving. That's the living and true God, Alexanos. Isaiah concludes in verse 8 through 10. He says, remember this. After he gets done mocking uh, the idols that they were worshiping, he says, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done. There is but one God, the true and living God, Alethanos. Next Greek word, alethes, comes from the same root word, uh, but has a different context. Alethes is used to denote that God is truthful. Truthful. Alethes actually means something that is true to a fact. Meaning, when used of God, it is impossible for God to lie. Okay? Uh, we can learn this from Hebrews 6.18, which says it is impossible for God to lie. With man, that's not so, though, because fallible man, his words are errant. Okay? Uh, Romans 3.4 actually says that let God be found true, Alethes, God, he cannot lie. Let God be found true, but every man a liar. <coughs> so it is impossible for God to lie. We know this as the veracity of God. Veracity. Um, because God cannot lie, it then means that we should believe him. Right? We shouldn't believe a, a lie from a man, uh, someone who comes with every whim to teach us a new doctrine. No, we should believe him who is true, Alethes, and who cannot speak lies. Uh, when God said uh, to Noah, he said that he would flood the earth, it was true, right? It came to pass. When he told the Israelites that he would uh, bring them from Egyptian bondage, it was true. When he then told them that he would also prepare a, a land for them that flowed with milk and honey, it was true. Whatever God says, it is true, and you can believe it. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. First Kings chapter 8, beginning in verse 56. The passage says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses his servant. The words that God spoke uh, through Moses to Israel... All of all the good words that the Lord spoke, not one has failed. Because it is impossible for God to lie. Verse 57. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. That he may incline our hearts to himself. To walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances which he commanded our fathers. May these words of mine which I have made supplication before the Lord... Be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as is this day. Last week, Brother Randy brought us a sermon 
about the love of God and that if we can if we keep his commandments, we can walk in that love, that we can know God through the keeping of the commandments. Well, which God do we come to know? If you keep the commandments of a false idol, well, you're the creator of the commandments. But if you keep the commandments of the living and true God and you walk in the ways that he has set before you, you come to know God. In this passage, verse, 50, or verse 60 says, The Lord is God. You can know that through the keeping of his commandments. Because he cannot lie to you. He cannot lead you astray. There is no one else. Joshua 23 teaches us the same principle. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 23. We'll begin in verse 14. It says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your heart and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. And it shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you not one good word of the Lord has failed because the Lord exhibits veracity and that he cannot lie using in the New Testament the Greek word aletheia. okay the Bible then is a revelation from God since the God that we are coming to know today is the living and true God, Alethanos, and that he cannot lie, Alethes, then there's nothing in the written word that he has given to us that we shouldn't believe. Let's then learn, take those two principles, and then learn the third word, pistos. Have you ever heard the word pistos? Uh, we should. We commonly know it as faithful, uh, it actually does mean faithful. It means to be trusted. It means um, reliable. And God is faithful, right? God is to be trusted, and he is reliable. So married couples, I want you to look at your spouse. Is your, husbands, is your wife faithful? And wives, is your husband true to you? Now, did I ask the same question or a different question? It's the same question. Because on your wedding day, you made a covenant to each other that you would fulfill X, Y, and Z. And if your spouse is still holding on to that X, Y, and Z, that, that promise, that covenant that they made, then they have been faithful and they have been true. Right? Loyalty. It also is, it has the basis of loyalty between your marriage. Well, with God, it's your marriage to a far greater extreme because God is, exhibits fidelity to his promises, his covenants, meaning he's not going to break his promises or his covenants, uh, and he's going to exhibit unwavering loyalty to his very own nature. Right? So if, if even here on this earth we can be faithful and we can be true and that you can trust your spouse to be the wife that they promised they would be or the husband that they promised they would be, then God can fulfill that far greater than we ever could on this earth. Because God is faithful. Because he is trustworthy. Now, 
there are several verses, and I'm just going to read them off, uh, that speak of the faithfulness of God. Uh, Psalms 36, verse 5, actually says, The faithfulness reaches unto the sky. Speaking of God, thy faithfulness reaches unto the skies. Deuteronomy 32, 4, A God of faithfulness without injustice. Righteousness and upright is he. All his work is done in faithfulness. Psalms 33, 4. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. The fact that that last clause says, and he will bring it to pass, means that it can be trusted, what he said in the first clause, which is that he would call you. Trustworthy is he who, call, would, who, trustworthy is he who calls you, and he will bring it to pass. Faithful and trustworthiness are interchangeable, right? Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and, and lo his loving kindness to a thousandth generation who's with those who love him and keep his commandments. And 1 John 1, 9 concludes by saying, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins so that we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. What does this mean about God? Because he is the true God of heaven, the living and true God, not a false idol, not a God that we have created, but the God who that created us. And we are in servitude to him. Because he is that, and because his words are true, and that we should believe his words, we should then trust our souls into the hands of God Almighty, not our own hands. Because what can our hands do for us? Can our hands get us to heaven? If so, Christ died needlessly. But we require a God who is able to give of himself by dying on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. God is trustworthy. Because of those things, we contain a written word. God inspired the apostles uh, to pin down the words of God. When Jesus came to this earth in, in John 8, verse 32, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What was the truth in that passage? It was the words of God. Jesus would come to give a message to teach the new covenant in which we are bound, and that truth would make us free, that Christ would die for our sins, that the gospel of Jesus Christ could give us repentance or remission of our sins. So the truth will make us free. Well, the word of God is truth. Jesus is the word of God. The message that he came is proclaimed because he is God. Uh, he is known as the word of God, John 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, that word became flesh, verse 14 of the first chapter. And that word is God, verse 18. Jesus is God, and he gave us the words of life. We now have them in our possession. We can read them, and it is the truth. Is there any power in error to remove sin? Error has no power to remove sin. But the truth that we possess in, in written form does indeed have power to remove sin. Three things that we should learn from this. Number one, the word of God has the power to cleanse. 
It has the power to cleanse. John 15, verse 3. In speaking to the apostles, Jesus, Jesus told them, he said, you are already clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. You are already clean. Well, the apostles then gave us the inspired text along with a few other inspired writers so that we have those words, the same words that Jesus spoke to them which made them clean, we can be cleansed by those words too. Do we not need to be cleansed? If we are stained with sin, then we need to be cleansed. Secondly, purify. The word of God has the power to purify. 1 Peter uh, 1.22 says that you have in obedience to the truth, the word, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth, it says, in obedience to the truth, you have purified your souls. Purified your souls. Our souls need to be cleaned, cleansed of all unrighteousness. They need to be made pure. Otherwise, we have no hope of eternal salvation. Christ is the only means at which we can purify our souls. Third, the word of God has power to make you free from sin. To make you free from sin. Romans 6, verses 17 through 18 reads as follows. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching, which is the gospel, the, the word of God, that form of teaching, the things that you were taught about Christ. The same message that Philip taught the Ethiopian eunuch. He preached to him Jesus so the Ethiopian eunuch could come to know God in a very real way, which could then allow him to realize, hey, I need to obey the God that I have come to know and fulfill 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, which is what we should all be trying to do. You became obedient to the heart, to that form of teaching to which you were previously committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The word of God has the power to make you free from sin. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. This morning... The lesson went by very quickly. But how important is it for you to know and accept the truth with an accepting heart? Because the word of God comes from the true, alethanos God. You serve a God who lives. No other God has an existence in and of himself. Because the God that we serve not only lives and not only exists, but he has for eternity past. He knows the things from ancient times, things which have not yet been done. He is the Almighty. And when he speaks to you words, you should listen and you should believe them because he cannot lie, they cannot be false, and all his words will come to true. Not only the good words that he says, like there is an opportunity for eternal life, and that if you follow the path of Jesus Christ, because he was the way, the truth, and the life, well, that eternal life, it exists. You can believe that. But if you don't follow the way, then what happens? Well, there's also a threat from God, and we should believe the threat, too, that there is such a thing as hell in which is a place of outer darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place that is undesirable. Your children have the opportunity to learn to know God so that when they go into these places, these colleges, and they begin to... Uh, hear these various teachings. Someone comes up to them, perhaps. Maybe it's not even a professor, but comes up to them and says, hey, you don't need to do all this stuff that you're doing because God's a God of love and he's not going to destroy any of us because he loves his creation. And so we all have the opportunity for you know, salvation. We're going to go to heaven because he, he can't destroy us because he loves us. Well, what would your child say? 
Well, your child's going to bring up the fact that, oh, well, he's a God of justice, too. And then they have the opportunity to teach the gospel to that person. Because they, you teach that person who came to you teaching falsely something about God that they obviously did not know, which was that he's a God of justice. And in that, you can teach holiness, and you can teach how you, too, should be holy. How you can come to know and love that that which is perfect, you can love it with a perfect love. And that which is evil, sin, the things that involve sin, you can learn to hate it with a perfect hatred. We need to be likened to God. Conform to the image. How do we conform to the image of God? Well, it's in Jesus Christ. That was the eternal plan of salvation, is that we would be conformed to the image of the Son. Why? Because he was perfectly holy. He was without sin. He had no sin in which the Father would look on shamefully, right? But at what point did he put on sin? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he, who knew, he, he was made to be sin, him who knew no sin, right? He was put on the cross, even though he did not know sin, it was not a part of his life, but yet he was made to be sin on our behalf so that we can have the righteousness of him within us. Christ died on the cross, not needlessly, not in just servitude to the Father, but no, God himself sent himself, because Jesus is God, and he died on the cross for our sins, so that we can have a God who gave of himself. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? Well, he gave the most timeless, and I, yes, I say timeless, sacrifice ever. You think of a timeless event, was Pearl Harbor timeless? Well, no, because before Pearl Harbor happened, no one ever thought about it. It was just a figment of imagination. But now we look at it and go, oh, what a timeless event. Well, that's not true, because it had a time. Well, with Christ and the cross, it, it truly was a timeless event, because that God was looking forward to it before the first sin was ever committed. That's why the, the animal, most likely a lamb, was there in the garden present, so that it could take away the sins of man. Because the sacrifice was needed, because blood had to be shed, and God gave of himself to shed his own blood so that our sins could be forgiven. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know God today? Are you his servant? 1 John 1, 9 says that he is faithful. He is trustworthy. You can trust that he will forgive you of your sins if you confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and trustworthy to forgive us of our sins. God is not wearied by our continual asking for forgiveness. It doesn't bother him. Think, consider the parable of the friend at midnight who goes and continually knocks asking for what he needed. God's not wearied by our continual asking of forgiveness. If you were a Christian who once fell away, why? Why did you fall away? Was it because you didn't know the true God of heaven? If so, then this morning you have the opportunity to confess your sins, to begin to know God and begin to let him walk with you throughout this life. If you've never known God, then today you should start. You should begin to learn to know God. You should put him on in baptism. Believe the words that God has given to us. Believe it. And these words tell us to repent of our sins, to turn <coughs> away from them, not commit them anymore, to confess our sins, and if so, he's faithful to forgive us through the watery grave of baptism where it's you put on Christ in baptism to wash away your sins. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. If you stand in need of these things, if you need to come to know God today, why don't you come while together we stand and sing?